Well, good morning to you. So glad that you're here today. I'm Danny Forshee. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church and just delighted uh, to be able to be here today and preach God's Word and to encourage you. And let me just say, uh, along with uh, Brother Daniel, who stood up here a moment ago, he is our, our student pastor, doing a fantastic job ministering to our college and high school and middle school students. Let me just add uh, my greeting to you, especially if you're a guest today on the spring break, the bookend of the spring break. We're glad that that you come today to worship the Lord. And so uh, we are in a study in the book of Nehemiah here at Great Hills. And if you brought your Bibles with you, that's fantastic. If not, on the screen you'll see some text here in a moment. It's Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 23. You know, whenever you attempt a great work for God, you can always anticipate that you're going to experience some kind of resistance or some kind of opposition. And as we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, both the book and the name, Nehemiah, this wonderful character, we have seen a man who's incredibly resilient. He is faced with a very large task of rebuilding the perimeter wall around the city of Jerusalem. It's about 444 B.C. He will be the governor of that great city of Jerusalem for 12 years, but before those great glory years... He first has to go through some very difficult times of trial, opposition, testing, and yea, even this word that we're going to parse and dissect today, this word discouragement. Now, I know there, there are all sorts of people here with us today. There are some of you, you walked in today and you would say, Brother Danny, the discouragement is not my issue. Can I just come alongside you and say, well, glory to God, I'm, I'm happy for you, I'm, I'm literally encouraged by your lack of discouragement. In fact, some of you walk in here today and you would say, I am rejoicing and I am praising God. And here's the thing, God, is, God has made my test a testimony and God has created a message out of my mess. You show me anybody that is doing great and things are going well for them, I'm telling you, they have come through. Life has not always been that way for them. It's not always been you know, a bed of roses. They have had their times of trial and uh, vicissitudes of life and discouragement of life. But here's the thing, they've pressed on. And now they are a living testimony to the rest of you that, hey, you're going to make it. And through God's grace and God's power and God's strength in your life, look at, watch this. You're going to come out of it even better than when you entered into it. And whatever the chaos may be. For Nehemiah, it was, a, it was such a large task. God commissioned him. King Artaxerxes allowed him to go to Jerusalem to travel from Persia or Babylon in the east, travel for about four months to the west, made it almost to the Mediterranean Sea, and they landed in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is a builder. In fact, the title of our series that we're preaching here at Great Hills is called uh, Let's Build Something. And Nehemiah is building a wall, a protective wall that will go around the perimeter of the city in order to keep marauders and invaders out and keep the inhabitants and the citizens of the, of the city of Jerusalem in and to keep them safe. But it's more than that. It's more than just a construction process. It's more than just building a wall in 52 days. And here's what it represents. It represents much more than that. Just, just like this building here today. This, this is brick and, and mortared and, and steel, and I, and I get that. But when people see this huge edifice, 
you know, I want them to think more than just a protective place where people can come in and worship. Here, here's what Nehemiah's task was. He was to go to a place of chaos and to bring about stability. And when people saw the wall, the wall of Jerusalem being erected out of the rubbish and out of the stones and out of the disarray, when they saw that wall rising up, then the people on the outside would say, you know, God is not through with his people. God is still God of the Jews. God is still God of, of Israel. And, and there's Nehemiah, the governor, and there's the people of God. Oh, look at that. Zerubbabel and Ezra have come years before and they've rebuilt the temple and there's the temple and there's the wall. I tell you what, God must not be through with them yet. That, that's what he's getting at. And God sees the panoramic view. We only see the myopic, the small, the narrow view, but God sees this grand view. And so if you're here today and, you're, and you, you've come through the discouragement and you're, you're Man, you're just living large. And I'm like, glory to God. We need to rejoice with you. Paul says, I want to I rejoice with those who rejoice, and I want to weep with those who weep. Now, some of you stop me and you say, time out. That's not me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm over, I have not overcome, or I am struggling, or I'm having my doubts, or I'm having my difficulty. Well, then I just want you to come on inside this text with me today as we unpack what it means to deal with discouragement, and then glory to God to overcome it. Discouragement pursues great vision. You may want to write that down. And in fact, we've given you a little place there that you can write it down. If you've got a pen or, or, or a piece of a pencil or something, mascara, whatever, write, write it down. Discouragement pursues great vision. And Nehemiah had a great vision to rebuild the wall, to reestablish the people of God. And I'm telling you, discouragement was like a hound dog nipping at his heels constantly. Opposition, discouragement, people without saying it cannot be done, and people within saying it can never happen. And so discouragement is pursuing Nehemiah. The second thing I want to share with you today in this text is that discouragement can be defeated. Discouragement, this formidable foe. We look at an impregnable wall of opposition. It can be scaled. It can be overcome. The Bible, listen to this. Last time I checked, the Bible still says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With man, Jesus said, this is impossible. But with God, somebody help me, all things are, are possible. That's right. And so if you're here today and you're like, man, that's true. I have a testimony. And, I, and I've overcome, and I'm rejoicing with you, but you may be here today and say, I'm in the midst of it. I'm in the crucible, and I'm in the midst of the pain and the opposition and the discouragement and the depression and the despondency and the despair and the hurt and all those things, all those little accoutrements that go with that. I want you to know something, friend. You're not alone. God preserved this book for you. It's not just a book of history. It's certainly not a book of fables and myths and fallacious stories. No, it's a book of veracity. It's a book of truth. It's a book that you can go to and you can read it. We're going to read a bunch of verses today, like verses 10 through 23. And I just want you to enter into this sacred text with me and, and allow God to help craft your story. And, and your story can become one that you're, you're an overcomer and you, you're battling discouragement and, and you, you come out on the other side. And here's what you do. You, you look back to those who are still struggling and say, there's hope. <laughs> Don't despair. Don't give up because God is still God. 
He is on the throne, and it could be the fact that you're encountering so much discouragement, it could be you have a great vision. And somebody ain't happy. <laughs> somebody doesn't like it. But greater is God that's in us than the devil that's without us. So before we read the sacred text, let, let, let's do this. Why don't we all just stand up? You say, are we dismissed? Honey, what, what, what? I woke up from a nap. What, what's going on? Are we, are we already done? Shortest sermon I ever heard in my life. Hallelujah. We're going to beat the Methodists to lunch. Amen. We're getting out of here. No, I'm sorry to discourage you. We're, we're, we're just getting warmed up. But I want you to stand and I want us to publicly, I'm going to read it out loud. And I want you just to follow along with me. And we're just standing, and we don't do this very, very often in, in Great Hills. And some wish that we'd do it every Sunday, but we're doing it today. How about that? We're doing it today. We're standing in the honor of God's Word, and I'm going to read it out loud. You follow along, and you say, why'd you pick the longest chapter in the book to have a stand? I have no idea. I had not planned on this, all right? Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Can I just add a little commentary here? They're exhausted. They're exhausted. They've been working hard. And there's so much rubbish that we're no longer able to build the wall. Our adversaries said, we said, wait a minute, our adversaries? We, what do you mean we got adversaries? We got people that are against us? Boy, they had a bunch. The adversary says that they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them. You got problems? <laughs> Anybody trying to kill you? They were, they, they were about to, some of them are about to be assassinated if God doesn't come in and intervene. So we're, we're going to die in the midst. They're going, we're going to kill them and we're going to stop this work. We're going to cause this work of rebuilding the wall to cease. And so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us, church, how many times? Ten times. Listen, some people bring bad news and they don't shut up. Ten times. They keep coming. They, they've got the, the spiritual gift of discouragement, all right? And they come and they say, ten times we have heard whatever place you turn, we're going to be upon you. Okay, ten times. Therefore, oh, I love that, don't you? I love the Bible. Therefore, what's the therefore? It's there. Because you got to look back and see, here's the challenge, here's the adversity, here's the discouragement. And the leader rises up, which is Nehemiah, the first person singular here would be Nehemiah, positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall. He's got a plan. And at the openings, and I, Nehemiah, set the people according to their families. Wise, ingenious move. With their swords and their spears and their bows, their weaponry. And I looked and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, watch Nehemiah, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Just stay, stay right there. Back, back that up, please. Back that up. Do, do not fear. 365 times in the Bible it says, don't be afraid. Come on, help me. One for every day. Isn't God good? Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of your adversaries. Do not be afraid of your naysayers. Do not listen to those pessimistic voices that say it could never be done. Remember Almighty God, people. Remember the Lord. Now watch what he does next. Now he can say, now he starts preaching. 
Nehemiah's got a little preach in him, all right? He's not just a construction worker. He is a, he is a preacher of the Word of God. He says, remember God, He's great and He's awesome. Now, therefore, let's fight. Ooh, I like that. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters, for your wives, and for your houses. And it happened. <laughs> Our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and, and wore their armor. And the leaders, now this is a little interesting interjection here. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. The leadership in the community, they were not saying, the, they, they were not telling the people, you can't do this. This is the most ridiculous, stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. No, no, they weren't doing that. The leaders, like some of you today, you're leaders, right? People look at you at Great Hills and you're like, man, you've been here since Noah was here. Man, you're, you're like Moses, you're, you're a leader. And when they're you, the leader stands up and says, you got this, brother. Come on, we can do great things in the name of God. I tell you, there's nothing greater than an old person on fire for God saying, you can do this. Man, we need you. I'm one of you, all right? We need that. We need elderly saints of God to say, you got this, brothers and sisters. Let's build this wall. Then those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and the other hand, they held a weapon. Praise God. You got that mental image in your mind? Some of you are looking at me and saying, would you just please read the Bible? Let me sit down. I'm, I'm so tired. It's okay. It's all right. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Who was me? Nehemiah. Very good. Then I said to the nobles, to the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Oh, Nehemiah, what, what a man. What a leader. What a plan. Okay, listen to me, guys. Here's what we got to do. We're kind of scattered abroad. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to the trumpet call. Rally to the clarion call of the trumpet. Meet us there because our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work. Half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem. I have a little camp out, all right? We're not going home. We're going to stay on the wall. And that they may be our guard by night and a working party for us by day. And the last verse, watch what Nehemiah does. He says, so neither I, good leaders, catalyst leaders, are not dictators. They're right there in the midst of their people, okay? Hey, CEO and president and boss and supervisor, remember this. People really don't care how much you know, how good and awesome you are, till they know that you really care for them, all right? So I, Nehemiah, said, I was one with my people. And I got out there with my servants, nor the men of the guard, none of them who followed me, took off our clothes except that everyone took them off because we stinketh. We needed a bath, all right? <laughs> if 
Father, thank you for your word. It is life. God, it is real. And even though it's 2,500 years removed from Austin, Texas in 2017, Lord, it's like, you, it's like it was the, the morning paper. Because, Lord, we too face great opportunities. And we also face, Lord, great opposition. Lord, for the person that's here today that's struggling, God, with their discouragement, I pray even now, Lord, that you would begin, I think you've already begun, to encourage that wounded sister, to build up that broken brother, to let that student know, God, they are not alone. The Bible says, my mother and my father may forsake me, but my God will never forsake me. You are not alone. Help them, Lord, to hear that message. Help them to be encouraged by what they are about to experience through this wonderful text. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the text for just a few minutes. And if you're taking notes, uh, good, good luck. We're going to go kind of fast, but we've given you some opportunity there to jot that down. And y'all be, be patient with me. Be patient with me as I'm caught some kind of something bug and coughing deep in my chest and feel just terrible, but it's good. I'm glad to be here. Are you glad to be here? Awesome. Good, good. You encourage me then. You encourage me. All right, I'm going to give you uh, four reasons why they were so discouraged and discouragements passionately pursuing their great dream. And here are the causes or the reasons for the builder's this is why they got down. Number one, they were physically exhausted, okay? So if you're taking notes, and I'm a teacher at heart, I like to teach, and so I hope you walk away today with some good notes and some good thoughts in your mind, okay? They were physically exhausted. Their strength, verse 10 says, was failing. Half of the wall has been completed, but that means there's another half to be completed, and they're like, Nehemiah, we'd just be really, really tired. You know, discouragement comes to the heart that's, that's tired. When you haven't taken a break, you haven't taken a day off in 18 days, you haven't taken a vacation, you say, what's a vacation? Then you get exhausted. And God made these temples, these physical bodies for times of rest and relaxation and play and enjoyment. And unless you're nourishing that, unless you're doing that, you're just gonna, you're gonna be greatly discouraged physically. Number two, he says, we've lost our vision. Verse 10 says, Nehemiah, there's so much rubbish. They forgot the goal and they were looking at the rubbish. Isn't that easy to do? When you forget the goal of what God called you to do or what God's assigned you to do, and all you can look at are the challenges and the trials and the difficulties, and they're just like creeping like a bunch of ants, you know, just like crawling all over your body, and they're just stinging you here and there. And all you can think about are these nasty ants. Kill these ants, oh God. And God wants you to look up, lift up your eyes. I will lift up my eyes because my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth the psalmist. By the way, y'all sang a lot of scripture a few moments ago. I don't know if you realize that or not. You're just singing verse after verse of the Bible, and that's not by accident. That's planned. We want to sing the scriptures. And so they have lost their vision. Let me give you a definition of rubbish. You may want to jot this down. Rubbish. I just like saying that, rubbish. 
It's an onomatopoeia. It sounds like it. Rubbish. It, here it is. Here's a good definition. It's temporary debris that has no eternal consequence. It's temporary. It's fading. Has no eternal consequence. It's just rubbish. And the builders are like, man, all I can see is the rubbish and, and, and the wall is, oh my word, it's, it's only halfway done. Look at all this mess. Oh, Nehemiah, what in the world are we going to do? Well, it gets worse. You ever notice that? It gets worse before it gets better. Number three, they lacked confidence. They had a lack of confidence. Verse 10 says, we are not able to build this wall. And follow the natural progression of their demise. They lost their energy. Their vision was clouded, and now they've lost their confidence. Kind of the mental picture God gave me as I was studying this message, it's like the climber of the mountain. And somebody says, hey, come climb the mountain with me. It's Jason Mann is his name. Come climb the mountain with me. It'll only take us an hour, let's say. It's purely hypothetical, okay? Jason, I love you, by the way, and I'd climb any mountain with you. But let's say about four and a half hours into the climb, you look at Jason and say, what is the deal? You said it would take an hour. It's four and a half hours, and we're only halfway up. Forget this. I'm going back down, okay? That, that's kind of what was going on. Man, Nehemiah's got to come quick. He's got to rally the troops because these guys, they're, they're, they're tired. They've lost their vision. They've lost their confidence. And to make it even worse, number four, they have these paralyzing threats. The people are threatening them for their own lives, right? Hey, we're going to kill y'all. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to come in there and just take you guys out. And so they have these, they have a lot stacked up against them. And so as a result of it, they are discouraged. Are you discouraged today, right now? Then you've probably got good cause. Maybe your health is not what it used to be. Maybe you got some bad news uh, from your doctor. Maybe some, some tough news you've heard from your employer. Or maybe your kids aren't just turning out the way you really wanted them to. Or maybe your grandchild is sick. Or maybe your church is sick. Or maybe your, maybe your city is, is in a disarray. And, and whatever it is, you, you, find yourself, you find yourself almost in a, in a state of paralysis. And I just want to come alongside you to say these words. God must really be up to something in your life. Because discouragement doesn't waste its time on feeble, mild, and timid dreams. No, discouragement pursues with passion those of you that have a grand dream, an awesome objective, you want to do fantastic things for God, then first you got to get over this wall. You got to come through this discouragement, through this debilitating time in your life. And Nehemiah is going to help us in just a moment, but first we got to properly analyze it. We got to diagnose it before we have a good prognosis. And I'm trying to share this with you. For 30 years, 30 years, Charles Haddon Spurgeon pastored one church. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He, he built a mega church. They, they seated 5,000 in 1861 in London, England. Now, this was a mega church before they even knew what a mega church was. 
He baptized 15,000 people in his ministry. He was a good Baptist. He dunked them, all right? He just put them under the water and brought them up. 5,000 members, he knew all of them by their first name. Don't get any ideas on that, all right? I just, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's, I, I'm like, if I had a, if I had a, a kind of a progeny mind like, like he did, listen, Spurgeon was a genius. But listen to what he said. Powerful words. This is going to really help somebody today. I believe it. Before any great achievement, some measure of depression is, is really very usual. Now, let, let me stop just a minute. Whenever he uses the word depression, you can also substitute the word discouragement, okay? Such was my experience when I first became a pastor in London. My success appalled me. And the thought of the career which seemed to open up so far from elating me, it cast me into the lowest depth of which I uttered my, uh, my misery and I found no room for a gloria in excelsis. Who was I that I should continue to lead so great a multitude? I would betake me to my village obscurity or I would go to America and I would go into some solitary place where I might find and, and find my sufficiency for the things that were demanded of me. It was just then. Now listen to this very carefully. It was at that moment of my despair, my discouragement, and my depression that the curtain was rising on my life work. This depression comes over me whenever the Lord is preparing me for a larger blessing for my ministry, end of quote. This discouragement comes over me right at the moment that God is about to open up for me this incredible opportunity to proclaim his name and see his church grow and, and flourish and, and thrive. And Spurgeon says, whenever that, whenever that great things are about to happen, he said, I can always count on it. Uh, like Martin Luther would say, I, I just could feel the enemy come in the room and he would take his wet blanket and he would wrap it around my hot heart and he would try to snuff out the vision that God has given me. And so he's saying, I, I, I dealt with it and, I, and, and Spurgeon would say, I had to continue to deal with it. And Nehemiah would come along and say, well, man, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one because I've been trying to help these people build this wall. It's only 25 days. We got 26, seven more days to go. And man, some of them are exhausted and some of them have lost their vision and some of them are, they got threats. They've got hit men on their lives. They're going to try to take them out. And I imagine Nehemiah's going, oh God, what do I do? What do I tell them? Lead me, oh God, so I can lead them. So here's the second thing I want to share with you. Discouragement can be defeated. And it's about to be defeated royally by God's man, Nehemiah. One pastor put it this way, and I just love this quote. You cannot ignore discouragement. It's like ignoring a flat tire. Pray all you want, drive all you want. You're never going to get air back in that tire. You got to fix it. You got to fix it. And that's the way it is with discouragement, end of quote. Let me share with you what Nehemiah did before I lose my voice, okay? <clears throat> Number one, he unified the troops. 
Verses 12 and 13, they had some serious challenges. Rumors are being spread. Ten times over, the people said, we've heard it, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's like, okay, I got it the first time, but, but now you're telling me for the tenth time, I understand you, we were being threatened, and, and there are people that want to kill us, but here's what we need to do. We need to come together. In verse 13, Nehemiah prepared. He said, let's do this. An ingenious move. I know you're exhausted, but here's what we've got to do. And so he begins to rally them. And look at it in verse 13. It says, therefore I positioned my men, and therefore I set the people according to their families. In verse 14, and I looked, and I arose, and I said to the nobles and to the leaders, do not be afraid. Do you see what he's doing? He's rallying the troops. Anybody can discourage the troops, but it takes a real woman or man of God to rally the troops. If you have the spiritual gift of discouragement, the best thing you can do is close your mouth. Okay, just be quiet and let God deal with it. Let, let God's way be done. God doesn't need your help. He just needs you to trust Him. Good word. God doesn't need my help. God needs me to trust Him. And God needs me to listen to those He puts in positions of leadership and, and pray for them. And Nehemiah's like, I got your back, guys. Come on. We gotta build this wall. But in order for us to build this wall, here, let's do this. Let, let's come together right now. Over me. That's right. Come together right now. And we can get this thing done. Number two, remember the Lord, he said. Let's remember the Lord. We've taken our eyes off of God and the prize, and we got our eyes on the rubbish. Those temporary things with no eternal consequence, for heaven's sake, Nehemiah's probably saying, lift up your eyes. God called us here. God's put us here. Come on. Come on, troops. Come on, guys, citizens of Jerusalem. Let's remember our great God. He says he's the great and awesome God. Let's remember him. Number three, he had a great plan. Look at his plan. And I'm going to go through these really quick, and if you're taking notes, all I can say is, Good luck, okay? Here, here it is. Number one, I call it the half and half plan. Like my coffee this morning, I had half and half. He said, here's what we do. Half of you got to watch, and half of you need to work. And by the way, I'm going to position you around the wall with your wives, your kids, your grandparents. Come on now. Does that not appeal to the, to the man in this room? I mean, he's, he's genius. He's going, okay, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to defend your wife. There's rumors out there that there are men with spears and there are men with, with weapons, and they're going to come, and they're going to attack this wall, and they're going to try to kill you, and here's what I want you to do. You stand by your wife, and you stand by your kids, and if anybody comes near that wall, I give you the permission to take them out. And man, I'm telling you, that, just saying that just makes me go, yes, praise God, bring it on. I mean, they're just ready to fight. And Nehemiah knew that. He's a great leader. He's appealing to their manhood. There's a man not in this room who would say, well, honey, I'm going to go take a nap. You fight. Then you're pitiful, all right? No, I'm going to fight. I'm going to stand. And when I'm not fighting with this hand, Praise God, I'm building the wall with this hand. Yeah, it's cool. Called the half and half plan. You're welcome. It's, it's good. <laughs> Verse 16, the leaders supported the people. That's so important. 
Nobody can sabotage a company or a team or a church or a family like a leader gone bad. <laughs> like a twisted, truncated leader who's so pessimistic. We can never do this. You can never do this. Blah, 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 blah. They didn't do that. Are you listening to me, Moses? Are you listening to me, Joshua and Caleb? Are you listening to me, men? Stand up. You got this, boys. Come on. I mean, those leaders are right. I kind of think they're kind of feeble and free. I kind of think they're like, you got this, boys, young whippersnapper. I can't handle a spear anymore, but praise God you can, and you got this. Isn't that cool? That is better than the leader saying, you guys are pitiful. I mean, you can't swing an ax. You can't do anything, man, if I was your age. I could do all this and do it a whole lot better. I'm going back to my house here. Don't do that. Praise God. Be that old saint, that old woman, that old man of God going, man, I'm on my knees. You got it, buddy. Come on. You got it, sister. Come on. You can do it. That's what we need. Hey, quit, 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 quit that. Some of you looking at me like, you're about to explode. Quit doing that. Come on. Do this. Do that. Help us, Jesus. Number three, verses 17 and 18, it says a hammer and a sword. Hammer in one hand, sword in another. Number four, verses 18 through 20, I call it the trumpet plan. I know it's not real creative. Bear with me, okay? This is what I got. I call it the trumpet plan. When you hear the trumpet, rally the troops. Man, we've got some break-ins in our neighborhood. No fun. We live in a gated community, and people are hopping the gate. <laughs> they're coming out in the walls, and they're knocking windows out, stealing purses, and, and the word's gone out, and we're emailing each other going, be alert. Be on the lookout. I've got, it's kind of like our neighbors are going, we, we got you back, and we're watching out for one another, and we're going to protect, and we're going to defend one another. That's good. That's good neighboring. This is good, this is good business principle. It's okay. When you hear the trumpet blow, here's what you do. Put down your... Thank you, Lord. You just gave me this. When you hear the trumpet blow, put down your hammer and grab your spear. Because I need you. That's, that's what he's, that's Nehemiah saying. Put down your hammer, grab your weapon, and get over to the northeast side of the city, of the wall. That means we've been assailed. That means somebody is coming in after us. When you hear me blow the trumpet, don't delay. Men, men of God, put down your hammer, unless you're going to wield it as a weapon, and grab your spear and go to the point of need. There's a breach. There's something wrong. The clarion call has gone out. Can I count on you? Men of God, women of God, are, are, you, are you there? Are you listening? Will you join me in the fight for the wall, Nehemiah would say. The next is, verses 21 through 22, they had around-the-clock protection. I love that. And an overnight camp out for 50 days. Hallelujah. That's rough. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And number six, uh, we're, we're going to keep our work clothes on. Unless you stink so bad 
I give you the permission, please go take a bath. Ain't that cool? I said, man, we wouldn't even take a bath. Man, I'm... <laughs> We're so needed. I'm not worried about, worried about taking a bath Nehemiah. I'm, I'm needed. You need me, and I'm, I'm here. And I imagine Nehemiah sometimes going, brother, I love you, but please, please go. And get some right guard deodorant while you're at it, brother. But, you, but you're killing me, man. You're killing me. Just, ain't that cool, though? Ain't that cool? Man, what if every, what if every leader had those kind of guys? Say, man, I'm, I've, I've got you back, and what do you need? We're in this together. Let, 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 let's go. Discouragement is pursuing you, leader. You've got this great vision. But here's what I want to do. I want to rally around you, and I'm going to lock arms with other men and women of God, and we're, we're going to form a barrier protection around you because we need you to blow the trumpet, brother. We need you to be on your game. We need your help. So we're, we're, we got you now. I know we stink. I know we need some baths and bathing, but, but wouldn't it be great to have a whole host of people like that in your leadership sphere? Thomas Edison. Anybody ever heard of Thomas Edison? So bright. Thank you, Thomas Edison. How about the phonograph, the recording? I know he didn't invent the light bulb, but he sure did perfect the light bulb. How about motion pictures? Thomas Edison. December, cold night, 1914, just at the beginning of the World War I. Thomas Edison. The worst thing that could have possibly happened to him and to his career his warehouses, his businesses, like eight buildings erupted in flames in New Jersey. And there it was, the celluloid and all these compounds and flammable goods, it, it just it erupted. One million dollars was lost. That's 1914. Anybody want to extrapolate that to 2017? Good. $23 million in a night. And Thomas Edison He's 67 years of age, okay? He runs to the flame. Eight different groups of, I don't know, probably volunteer, but eight different groups come, and they're bringing their water and their hoses. They're, they're doing everything they can, and, and different communities around this West Orange community of New Jersey, and they're, and they're all pouring in, but it's too late. It's too late. Thomas Edison, he runs to the flame. And you know what he does? He tells his 24-year-old son, he said, son, go get your mama, because she will never see fireworks like this again. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> That's what he said. And his son goes, Dad, are you serious? He said, son, I'm serious. Go get your mother. I got to quote him because this is what he said. He said, men and women, my faithful employees, we're going to rebuild. We can always make capital out of disaster. We've just cleared out a bunch of old rubbish. <laughs> we'll build bigger and better on these ruins. Now, that's a leader I can follow. 
Do you know what? Do you know what happened the next year? That would be 1915. Some of y'all were listening. They net profit $10 million, his company did. $10 million they made the next year. Do you think that would have ever been possible had Thomas Edison gone, well, this is just terrible, and I just think I'll go smoke a cigarette and die. I just think I'll just suck on persimmons and lemons and just lay in my grave and die. It's over. It's over. He didn't do that. He runs to the fire, runs to the problem, runs to the source of discouragement and says, come on, boys. Man, what a bonfire. Woo, look at that. And it ain't going to take me down. It's not going to take you down. Come on, we're going to rebuild on this rubbish. Let's go. And man, if I'm one of those employees, I'm like, praise God, let's go, man. I tell you, people want vision. People want leadership. People don't want to just meander around in life. They want a goal. They want a prize. And I got one for you. You ready? Thank you, brother. Here it comes. My goal all-consuming passion of my life. And I'm no Edison, and I'm no Spurgeon, and I'm no Nehemiah. I am a simple Baptist pastor who wants to take this body of Christ and see her unified together and go and make disciples of the nations of this world. Now, what I just shared with you... <clears throat> What I just shared with you is this radiant motif vision that I've been preaching for six and a half years, almost seven years. So aren't you tired? <laughs> aren't you tired of casting that same vision, make disciples, reach the nations? I'm not. And I'm going to tell you why I'm not. And I'm going to tell you why I'm not overly discouraged. Because we have a great God and we have a great vision. Any church that tries to be unified and send teams across the world to preach the gospel, that church comes up on the radar blip of the enemy. And the enemy, listen to me, y'all, I'm preaching far better than I know. Sometimes the Spirit of God just speaks to me and he, he lets me preach far beyond and better than I am. And then I know, and this much I know, there's a lost world dying and going to hell. And God has put that, those nations on my heart. I can't sleep. I can't do anything until this church is unified and comes together and say, we're taking the gospel to the nations. So, it sounds good, doesn't it? But it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. The hardest thing you'll ever do is be a member of a church that's not introverted, that's not all about me and performance and look how great we are. If you're a member of a church that says, let's take the gospel to those who've never heard the name of Jesus. 1.3 billion people in India, millions are perishing, dying and going to a Christless eternity and God's God put that on my heart so that you and I can rally and we can go and we can share and we can preach. But Alex, that is so hard because I come up 
on the radar of the evil one. And you'll be all this discouragement, all this obstruction, all these naysayers. The only reason that happens, guys, and the only reason the enemy tries to discourage me beyond any amount of discouragement is because the vision God has given me is to take the gospel, out, not only to Austin, but take it, Jesus said something like, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, where, Mike, where? To the ends of the earth. And you take a church or you take a pastor. Can y'all just m remove me from this for just a moment? Just pretend it's not me. But any church, any pastor that has that vision, here's what's got to happen. The enemy will hate him and do everything he can to kill him, number one. And the only way he makes it is the people of God rise up and say, I've got your back. That's the only way. That's the only way they make it. I'm sorry, y'all. It's nasty. I'm just snot slinging and just glorious. Anybody want to shake my hand? It was just fun. So. I tell you what, I'll get some hand sanitizer, and I'll clean my hands up, and my wife and I will greet you in the back. See, some of you here today are like, if you were preaching this message, you would say something like, hey, y'all might ought to listen because it's true. Some of you are, are doing well, and, I'm, and, I, I'm, and God's reminded me of this recently. Many of you are doing fantastic, and that's awesome, and I rejoice with you. And, and, and again, you, you did not get there alone. I mean, you, you got there through the travail and through the trials and the vicissitudes and the problems and the discouragement and the despair and the despondency and the hardship of life. You walked through all of that, and you're standing today, and I say, praise God for you, and I'm grateful for you, and I rejoice with you. But would you stand up and help me encourage the other brothers and sisters? They're going through the trial. They're going through the testimony. They're going through the mess. They're trying to build the wall. They're trying to build their families. They're trying to build their church. They're trying to build their company. They're trying to form a team. And they got all these grand goals. And they just feel beleaguered and discouraged. And they just feel so down and so hurt. Praise God. Come on. And you, you join me. And you gather around them and say, you got this. You can do this. Student, you can do this. Brother, you're about to preach me to death. I'm just telling you. You just you, you encourage me, and, and, I, and I'm getting Baptocostal on my people here. So the so last thing I want to say is this. Bless you. Last thing I want to say. Since God has done such a good work in your life, would you give him praise? You know who you are, Okay. You say, I thought the altar was, I'd come to the altar, people think everything's falling apart. No, it could be everything has come together. <laughs> and you just want to bow and say, thank you, God. Praise you, God. You're awesome. Thank you. And I or somebody else come alongside and pray with you, and you'll say, yeah, it's okay. You can pray with me, but it's all good. Others of you are going, that's not me, brother. It's not good. <laughs> Life stinketh. That's, that's what life is doing with me right now. That's what you'd say. And it just, it's just hard and it's just problematic. And, and I'm just so discouraged. Well, praise God, you're in the right place. 
You, you've, got, you've got truth, you've got the Word of God, you've got the people of God. All, all you got to do is just, just connect with God and just say, God, please help me. I humble myself before you and I ask you to help me. For some of you, that means eternal help. That means salvation. That means exchanging your, your sin and your shame and your guilt and your hurt and your pain and saying, Jesus, take all of that. I want the Holy Spirit of God in me and I want life in me and I want joy in me. And so Jesus, wow, listen to this. Jesus, take my junk because I want your jewels and I want your treasure and I want y'all to do that. Exchange that for what God gives to you. Some of you are like, well, how do I do that? This is how you do it. The Bible says, if you humble yourself before God, he will exalt you. Say, God, I can't, but you can. I don't want to, but you want to. I am weak, but you are strong. Jesus, help me. Would you do that? Let's, let's pray to him. Let me, let me lead you in this prayer. And let me lead you into this very sacred time of commitment. Some of us moving to the next level, you're going, I'm in, and I'm ready to serve, I'm ready to help, I'm ready to give, I'm ready to do whatever we need to do to be a unified, disciple-making church that's taking the gospel to the nations. Pastor, thank you for casting that vision, and I'm telling you, that's who I am, and that's what I want to do with the remainder of my life. I want to leverage everything I've got for the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And some of you are beleaguered, and some of you have lost your vision, and some of you are tired, and some of you are discouraged, and some of you have, you don't have in-laws, man, you got outlaws. You got people just persecuting you and casting stones at you. Man, we want to rally around you and encourage you today. Some of you today just need Jesus, man. You just need Jesus to come in and take, really take over. And I want to help you with that. I really do. I'm, I'm just so passionate about helping, helping people. And I'm helping them come off, come out of the streets, come into the stadium and participate, be a part of God's big game, what God's doing in this world. And so, Father, that is my prayer, and with a hoarse voice and weakened body, I'm praying, God, with all that is within me, that this church, God, would be that kind of church, unified, making disciples of the nations. God, I pray for the beleaguered, weary soul. Lord, help him, help her. Lord, for the man and the woman, or maybe the students going, yes, it's good. God is good. And Lord, would you just lavish continued joy upon them? Just may their cup just flow over and over. May it spill on all of us. Lord, bless the invitation. I know it's a sacred time, and I know it's the point of culmination. It's the point where all of it comes together, God. And we're just praying that arms would not be folded and scowls would not be on people's faces. But there would be joy. There would be peace. And there would be a resolve like never before to serve you, God. You're awesome, God. We worship you. We love you. We commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with, on your feet, sing praise to God? Some of you need to come. Why don't you come? Come rejoicing or come weeping. I don't care how you come.
But let somebody pray with you. Let somebody encourage you. Even now as Brother Corey leads us in a song.